You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. A couple weeks ago, while self-isolating at home, I found myself doing something that honestly, I never thought I'd do. I started prepping. Titanium sporks. Gotta have the sporks. Um, a clothesline, mm-hmm. a solar pack for charging things, drop cloth, a life tent. I don't know what that means. It's like an emergency tent. Mm-hmm. What else? Diva cups. Diva cups. This is my wife Meredith and I taking inventory of the life saving equipment and essential supplies that I purchased, like menstrual cups. We pack these in our go bags. Bags we'll grab and carry out of our apartment with us in the event of an emergency. This is just one step in a process that a lot of people call prepping, which is just shorthand for emergency preparedness. A New York State map. A laminated New York State map. Nine-hour candles. Yeah, for, um, we have like a mini lantern. Shout wipes. Because we got, I don't know, I feel like See, if we have stains the, and we're on, still wearing the same clothes the whole time during an emergency. On, no, this is on the same level as me. Okay, so my wife and I disagree over whether stain remover wipes are an essential item. But I stand by the other stuff. Because if the last few months have taught me anything, it's that you can't plan for a crisis. But it does help to be prepared. And I'm not alone in thinking this way. Today on the show... The coronavirus crisis has awakened a lot of people's inner prepper, making Silicon Valley prepping culture a little less fringe. I'm Ariel Zemros. This is Reset. When most people think of disaster preppers, folks in the tech world might not be the first image that pops up. But Silicon Valley actually has a distinct culture of prepping. If you think about Silicon Valley, not as a bunch of coders, but as a bunch of large-scale problem solvers, the talent and intelligence that exists in that group of people, they tend to be able to understand very large problems, kind of systems thinkers. So they can see how, for example, what's happening with COVID was very predictable. This is John Ramey. He's a Silicon Valley entrepreneur who's built and sold a number of tech companies. He also worked as an innovation advisor for the Obama administration. And he's the founder of a website called The Prepared. Theprepared.com is a website that teaches people how to get ready for emergencies, ranging from daily stuff like car accidents and job loss up through big things like natural disasters, this COVID pandemic, or even worse. You know, the world is not uh, a peachy, safe place. And we don't have to be doom and gloom about it. But part of being an adult in modern times is protecting against these kinds of risks, right? And we have insurance for health and fire and home and car. And I consider prepping to be insurance for everything else. 
You run a website, as we mentioned, it's called The Prepared. Why did you decide to start this website in the first place? You know, I've, I've been a prepper my entire adult life, but I felt that stigma. And so if you rewind 10 years ago, I'm working in Silicon Valley, and I felt like I had to hide the fact that I was interested in this topic. I ended up becoming one of the first outed preppers in the Silicon Valley community. And over time, other founders, other investors, they would start coming to me and saying, hey, I heard you know about this topic. Can you teach me? Every year, the number of people asking for help grew. And around 2016, 2017, I felt like the market had evolved enough where there were millions and millions of people like us who were modern, rational, grounded people who just wanted to take some steps to become prepared. And there was no resource for them to do that. So I started the website because it felt like there was a whole bunch of people that needed help, but the market wasn't serving them. Nobody else was stepping up to do it. And so I, I threw up a, a blog as a weekend side project just to stop repeating myself to teach my friends, and it took off from there. You know, the word prepper sometimes carries a little bit of stigma. When you explain what being a prepper is, how do you do that? The most important thing is that that stigma was frankly deserved in the past, particularly around 10 years ago as social media and YouTube channels and those kinds of things were growing. I'm preparing my family for the total destruction of the power grid. A devastating earthquake. A series of catastrophic terrorist attacks. The people that were the loudest at that point were people that were upset about Obama's election and um, some of the things that we now associate with the, the far right. This is the lifestyle that we live. Let's go. We're bugging out. Doomsday Preppers, a new series, premieres Tuesday. February and then it was 7th. amplified by the media, shows like Doomsday Preppers that just tried to find the most sensationalist people that they can. And it, it created this stereotype that you have to be some kind of crazy forest hermit uh, to think about emergency preparedness. And that, that it's just categorically wrong. Those kinds of fringy extremist doomsday preppers are no more representative of preppers than the Kardashians are of Californians. One of the biggest stories about how the community has evolved over the last 10 years is moving into that mainstream. So you, you literally can't define a prepper by any kind of demographic anymore. The only definition of a prepper these days is someone who's eyes wide open enough to realize that they can't depend on other people to save them or protect them, that self-responsibility and self-reliance is just a modern part of adulting. You know, there's so much of what you just said that, that one, I, I really relate to makes a ton of sense. And then there's the part where it's like you can't rely on others at all. That, that seems kind of, kind of lonely and, and sort of dark, no? Well... That's another way in which the prepping community has evolved a lot, is that it's no longer this kind of lone wolf mentality where you're going to be alone in your bunker, uh, the last person on earth patting yourself on the back for being correct. A lot of people think about their community and community resilience. There's things called community emergency response teams, which are kind of like an emergency equivalent of neighborhood watch. Um, a, a lot of preppers care about the world around them. They care about the people around them. But my comments about you can't rely on people other than yourself, uh, uh, these aren't things that we've made up. You know, the, the head of FEMA himself has said very clearly, you are your own first responder. 
it's that mentality that we're talking about. It's it's this idea that if you choose not to prepare, even though you have the means to, you're being selfish. You're saying, I'm not going to take these steps. I'm going to rely on some volunteer firefighter to get out of his warm bed at three in the morning to come and save me. For your case specifically, what are you preparing for? Well, one of the things that we've actually been an advocate of in the market is not to focus on a specific thing. So I kind of tongue-in-cheek answer that question as I'm preparing for the people that I love and the people around me. So you're not focusing on a hurricane, you're not focusing on wildfires, you're not focusing on a pandemic, you're just focusing on having the essentials that might get you through any one of these events. Exactly. It is flawed preparedness if it has tunnel vision on one event. Now, the good news is part of what we have developed as kind of this modern prepping framework is that the 80-20 applies to almost every situation. Can you explain what the 80-20 rule is? Yeah. So the 80-20 rule is that it's called the Pareto principle. It says that 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the reward. And it applies in lots of places, right? Like if you have a group project, 20% of the people tend to do 80% of the work. It's just this principle that tends to pop up in nature. And we, we think about that 80-20 rule in prepping theory. So what is that 20% effort that you can take that gets you 80% prepared? And it's actually, it's pretty simple. It, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to take a bunch of time now that a resource like the prepared exists and we can help people shortcut and just help them figure out the right, um, well-researched answers. Here's what to buy. Here's what to put together. Here's the skills that you need to learn. So speaking of that, what is the most important piece of advice that you give people to make sure that they're prepared? You know, it's actually a little counterintuitive because people tend to think they have to jump right into, you know, beans and band-aids. But on our beginner's checklist, step one is how's your physical and financial health? Because the most likely life disruption that people in this country will face is personal financial difficulty. And so we try to point out to people, look, before you think about guns or beans or all these kinds of stockpiles, do you have a rainy day fund? Are you swimming in credit card debt? Can you not walk up a flight of stairs without doubling over in pain? Those things are directly related to emergency preparedness because they both help you reduce the chances of a disruption happening in your life, like an early heart attack or not being able to pay the rent because you got laid off. That's part of prepping. Where do you draw the line between prepared and paranoid? Like, is there a line for you? Oh, there's absolutely a line. And, you know, we say to people, don't go overboard. Don't take out a second mortgage on your house just to build up, you know, supplies of food stores. You want to take the right amount of action for insurance, but still enjoy the good life while you have it now. You know, there's this false idea that because you're a prepper, you've somehow given up on life or given up on society. And we respond with, well, just because you have car insurance doesn't mean you drive like an idiot. Or just because you have health insurance doesn't mean you stop going to the gym. I want to focus a little bit on the pandemic. As you were seeing all of this unfold, did you ever have a moment of like, eh, guys, I kind of told you so? Yes and no. You know, a, a lot of people have called us up and said, oh, you must be feeling really good right now, very vindicated. And there's kind of an intrinsic vindication, right? It, it's nice to know that we're not crazy. And it's nice to know that the preps that we took, the models and the plans that we use, they worked. This was a very good stress test for prepping theory. 
But we're trying not to walk around patting ourselves on the back, you know, saying, ha ha, we told you so. It's more that we're trying to roll out the red carpet to our brothers and sisters that, you know, might be a little bit late to the game, but have finally realized that this is something they need to do. So you mentioned that this is a good stress test for sort of prepping theory. Has this pandemic actually changed anything in terms of how you view preparedness or prepper culture? No, not at all. If anything, it has validated a lot of the things that you couldn't directly validate because it was theoretical, right? We we haven't had a black swan event like this in a while. And while we certainly have other stress tests, things like natural disasters and so on, um, something at this scale hasn't happened in a while. And so it was a unique stress test, but the the community has responded. Our heart just melts because we see people who say, hey, you know what? I was prepared, but I ended up with more respirators than I need for my own family. So I, I took them to the hospital and I donated them. A lot of the initial DIY masks, those were made by preppers because they had materials at home. They knew how to sew, for example, and they knew how to make a proper mask. And it's been heartwarming to see just how effective the preparedness community has been at helping people around them. Also, the people who'd previously prepared for a crisis, who'd already gathered a bunch of non-perishable food items and supplies, they weren't the people rushing to the grocery store and causing shortages. Absolutely not. That that frankly rubbed us kind of the wrong way in the February-March time period as COVID was ramping up. Because some people in the media or just the memes that were going around the web were like, oh, look at all these preppers, pan, you know, hoarding all this stuff from Costco. Those, that's not prepping. You, prepping, by definition, is done ahead of time. Those people were, were reacting and hoarding. The preppers were at home, not going to Costco and waiting in line for 12 hours, standing next to a bunch of other sick people. So if anything, that, that panic buying and the shortages... That just underscores the need to do a couple very basic things ahead of time. And then when an event like this happens, which is completely unpredictable, you're ready. John Ramey is the founder and CEO of The Prepared. Coming up after the break, why the prepping mindset is so prevalent in Silicon Valley. Often they're the kind of guys also who are spending their days, you know, tweaking the Facebook news feed to be a little bit more addictive. And then on the weekends, they're learning how to, like, hunt a deer. This is Reset. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox, to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. Nellie Bowles is a tech reporter for The New York Times. She recently wrote about the Silicon Valley prepper trend. There is something about 
the tech world. And, and my theory is that it's because you can make money in a second that you imagine you can lose everything in a second too. So you've got a lot of people who have been prepping as a hobby for a long time. And I knew about these people and I interviewed them on stage and in person and whatever, all in all sorts of ways. And I would generally make fun of it. I mean, I would generally think it was absurd and hilarious. And and my problem with it was, first of all, I thought, thought it was so pessimistic. And I was like, come on, the world's not going to fall apart. And second of all, I thought, you're going to leave us all behind? What exactly is the cliche of the prepper in Silicon Valley? Yeah, the prototypical Silicon Valley prepper is it's a little bit like the cliche, which I hate saying and trying to never write, of like the tech bro. The, it's a guy who spends his weekends learning how to hunt and maybe buys property with um, a bunker. The the one that gets all the attention is like Peter Thiel bought property in New Zealand for if the world falls apart. But there's a lot who just have property in rural California. And they're sort of preparing for this moment when the world might fall apart. And how that looks is is not like the world might fall apart because like the government's going to come and march in and, and take over your life like um, like some of the more conservative preppers believe. It's more of a, there's a fear about things that would sound to me and you quite grounded and quite rational, a fear about climate change and what that might look like. And so you start looking at too many charts showing climate apocalypse and you start thinking there might be hordes of people running through the streets trying to grab my food, or there might be real massive global collapse. And so these guys would read those charts and then they would start prepping. And it was funny and silly because often they're the kind of guys also who are spending their days programming a gaming app or um, you know, tweaking the Facebook news feed to be a little bit more addictive. And then on the weekends, they're learning how to, like, uh, hunt a deer. What is it about Silicon Valley preppers that rubs people the wrong way? I think one of the things that really rubs people wrong about it is the separatism. Is the idea that, like, yeah, the world's going to go to shit and I've got a bunker. Right. I can get away. I will be fine. Me, my family, we're safe. You're going to die. And, like, this idea, that taps into a lot of broader complaints about Silicon Valley, which are that— you know, like when Google builds its own bus line to get its employees to the office, it takes its employees out of the city's public transportation system, which bothers everyone because it's like, you want those people taking normal public transit. You don't want them to be in a separate public transit because then they don't argue to make the existing one better. All that stuff, like all the arguments about the problems of tech separatism become magnified, become sort of symbolized in this Prepper. Right. It, it, there's an inherent selfishness in the idea of somebody just being able to uh, fuck off in the middle of a disaster. Exactly. That was how I thought about it. But so when I started reading some of these new blogs and new prepper voices, I got a different sense of what it could mean. It might not be selfish. It might actually be a selfless thing to be a little bit more prepared. Because if I take up a hospital bed, I'm 32 years old. If things get into wartime medicine, that means I would be cared for rather than an 85-year-old grandparent. 
by preparing myself, I'm helping to relieve the system. The smartest thing that these prepared guys said to me was this idea of slack in the system. So we've optimized everything to be so perfect and so finely tuned that the grocery store only has groceries for that day. The pharmacy only has all the products it needs for that exact day because it's all been perfectly engineered. Just-in-time delivery, right? That's the that's what it's called. And what that means is if anything gets even slightly disrupted, which I would call this like a, you know, a slight disruption. It's not like we're actually out of toilet paper in this country. But if there's a slight disruption, then the system falls apart. And the idea is to take a little bit of that slack and put it on your own balance sheet. It's the concept of being prepared so that you are less of a burden on an already strained system. Exactly. Exactly. And thinking about it that way then, I was like, oh, this makes sense to me. Like, I don't want to be a burden on the system. I want to be someone who's providing for my friends and family. This entire conversation is a hard one to have, right? Talking about prepping is uncomfortable. And I think that there's a chance that some people might listen to us and go, holy shit, are we at this point? Do I need to buy a bunch of emergency supplies for the apocalypse? And the last thing that I want to do is for people to panic. I don't actually think that this is the apocalypse. This is very, very bad. But this this isn't the thing that I am prepping for. And so I'm wondering, what would you say to those people? Fundamentally, I still trust our systems. I still trust that things are going to be fine. I'm not buying land in New Zealand. And all those Silicon Valley preppers who have bunkers in rural California, guess what? They're not at their bunkers right now. They're, I talked to Sam Altman, the former head of Y Combinator, the most influential startup incubator and investment firm for small startups in the Valley. He now runs OpenAI. He said he's at home playing video games all day and uh, finally eating all the ramen he stockpiled. It's, this is not the end of the world collapse moment. This is just a moment when some of our supply chains are a little bit screwy and it's going to take a little while to get all the stuff we need. And that's kind of scary. And that's okay. I don't think that means we need to panic, but I think it's good. Sorry, there's an ambulance going by. I don't think it means we need to panic, but I think it's good as a reminder to be a little bit more self-sufficient and be a little bit more durable and flexible. So for me, with all this prepping, it's good for me to try to think about ways I can make myself a little less useless. And I think prepping done right is fun and it's skills that you should know already and it, it doesn't need to be a panicked end of the world thing. It can just be making yourself a little bit stronger. So do you consider yourself a prepper now? (laughs) I consider myself an aspiring prepper. Aspiring prepper. I don't think you can become a prepper by ordering a bunch of stuff on Amazon. (laughs) Like, you know, I've got a taser, right? You have a taser? Yeah, I have a taser, okay? Why did you get a taser? Why? Because I'm like so weak, I can't open a window. (laughs) Like, I, I need some assistance if I'm to battle my way out of chaos. But point is, I don't know how to use the thing. And so, no, you, I, I'm not a prepper. My God, please don't use it if you don't know how to use it. <laughs> so, Nellie, besides the 
the taser. What do you have in your go bag? Okay, okay. It's mostly the basics. You know, I have toilet paper, which it's taken about a month to get that. I have (laughs) um, masks. I have a lot of hand soap. I have two Lysols. Okay, no, and then I've got whistles. Everyone has to wear a whistle. Um, The knife, the taser, the Purell's. The water, I've got food, a ton of food. I just got like a 10-pound box of lentils. The hardest part for my prepper lifestyle right now has been getting the people around me to follow my prepper instructions and rules. Um, (laughs) When I first started collecting my prep items, my girlfriend was making so much fun of me. And so I was hiding things in the back closet to make sure that she didn't see... (laughs) all the weird stuff I was ordering because I was embarrassed. Like, it's it's weird, right? Are you? But now, now is she happy that you have all these things? Well, yeah, now I'm out and proud. Now I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm an out and proud prep. Nellie Bowles is a reporter for The New York Times. Nellie, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm Ariel Dimros, and this is Reset. We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.